In Genesis, the third chapter, for a few weeks now, we've been on this subject called the blame game. And we've prayed, and I trust you're believing with me, for more utterance on it tonight. In uh, Genesis 3, when uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sinned, fell, and uh, he addressed them about it, we see the way they responded. And it's enlightening because from them to the present hour, you'll see this kind of response all over the world. In Genesis 3 and verse 9, the Lord God called to Adam and he said, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And verse 11, he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. I mean, he led with blame, blaming others. The woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Verse 13, he addressed the woman. He said, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So you'll see from the very beginning of the fall and sin, this effort to cover, this effort to hide, and this reluctance, and you'll even see in others flat-out refusal to acknowledge that they themselves did something wrong, and blaming others. Now, they did acknowledge it. Adam did, and she did, but it was the last thing they mentioned and the briefest thing. They emphasized somebody else, blaming someone else. And you'll notice back up to verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Now, it's easy to read over this, but uh, he's blaming God. And I reckon this is the first instance we see of human beings blaming God. And there's, there's a lot in this phrase right here. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she's the one that led me astray. Now what's the implication? If you hadn't given this woman to me, and you hadn't put me in this situation, then I'd been okay. <laughs> Have you ever heard anything like that? <laughs> you will hear this everywhere, all over the planet. You know, what did you do? Well, the situation and that you put me in and, 
and they wouldn't help me, and, and blame, 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 and accusation, accusation, and there's so much of it, and it is so common that for the more part, people don't even recognize, they don't notice it, because it's just everywhere. It's pervasive, and people think that's normal, and as we've already gone into some detail, the giant problem with this is that if you won't take responsibility And if you won't repent, you won't get help. You won't get grace. We studied Esau and the book of Hebrews in the 12th chapter and and other places. We looked at what happened in the book of Genesis with him. And we see that Esau didn't care about the birthright. Now the birth, there's two things in that story. There's the birthright and there's the blessing. They're not the same. They are connected. The blessing of the firstborn, the birthright. But the birthright, although there was blessing connected to it, it also had to do with responsibility. If you're the firstborn, you're responsible in covenant with God. You're responsible for leading the family in the right ways. And once the elders and patriarchs are gone and you become the elder, you're supposed to hear from God about things. You're supposed to live right yourself and and, and show a pattern. Well, Esau wasn't interested in that at all. And, And when Jacob said, sell me your birthright, he said, what good's this birthright gonna do me? He wasn't interested in the birthright. But when the blessing came up years later, He wanted that. He wanted the benefits, but he didn't want the responsibility. He wouldn't accept responsibility for the situation that he was in for selling the birthright. And the Bible said he couldn't find any place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. An implication is he didn't repent. He was sorry he didn't get the blessing, but he wasn't repenting for how he how uh, casually and and disrespectfully he treated the birthright. See, just because you got caught and you cried doesn't mean you repented. (laughs) Just because you felt bad and got depressed because you didn't get what you wanted and you cried doesn't mean you repented. Repent involves humbling yourself and acknowledging the truth. Even when it makes you look bad, even when it's admitting things were your fault, your mistake. Say it out loud, everybody, acknowledging the truth. Come on, say it again, acknowledging the truth. Acknowledging the truth. This is such a key component of this. And tell me what will happen, what the truth can do for you. (laughs) The truth can and will, for those that believe it, receive it, and do it, make you free. Oh, somebody say, praise God, make you free. But see, if the truth is you messed up, but you don't want to acknowledge that, you don't want to admit that, you want to blame it on somebody else, then you're rejecting the truth. Then you're not going to get free. If you don't want the truth, if you don't want to believe the truth, that you messed up, what else can you believe? If you reject the truth, there's nothing else to believe but lies. And the lies won't make you free. 
they will put you in more and more bondage. And you see with uh, Esau, man, he, he became intent on killing his brother over this deal. Well, his brother didn't force him to sell him the birthright. His brother didn't force him to be disrespectful to God. The same thing happened with Cain. Cain wound up killing his brother over what? What did Abel do to him? Abel didn't do anything to Cain. He loved God so much that he gave the best that he had out of love and faith. And it showed up, by contrast, Esau's offering that obviously was not from his heart and was not his best. Well, he blamed his brother for God not receiving his offering. I know it's illogical. I know it doesn't make sense. But that's what happens when you reject truth. There's nothing else to believe but a lie. When you won't take responsibility for your own fault and mistake, you open yourself up to be deceived. It's like saying, I don't want the truth. I know, you know, I messed up. No, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. No, it's their fault. And the devil will come and say, that's right. It's their fault. It's not your fault. It's their fault. And too many times, people not only point to each other, they point up God's fault. Oh my This is something that has just allowed devastation and destruction all over the planet. And that is blaming God. And the reason so many do is because they've adopted this untrue, unscriptural doctrine that everything that happens is of God. And that God is in control of everything. And so if he's in control of everything... It must be his will. It must be his mysterious plan. And so then all the evil stuff, all the killing, the stealing, the destruction is somehow the mysterious will and work of God. And so when this destruction and killing and loss and death and everything is happening, people are told it's God. God's doing it. We don't know why, but God's in, and, and believing those lies, well, people get angry at God. They get mad at God. People act like there's no devil. And they act like they've never made any mistakes. Why, when something goes wrong, would be the, the first thing we do is go, it's God's fault. It couldn't be human beings' fault. It couldn't be the devil's involvement. Why do people just jump and gravitate to it's God's fault. And here's something that's, uh, I mean, it's perplexing, is that in normal times when things are going pretty good, you got a lot of people, they won't even acknowledge that God exists. But if things are going bad, they're some of the first to get mad at God. That in other times, they won't even acknowledge that He exists. Now, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, Lies don't make sense. Things don't have to be true to believe them. People just make a choice. So he tried to blame God in this situation. And it's one of the first times that we see human beings blaming God. Go to James, the first chapter, please. James chapter 1 and verse 13. James 1, 13. It said, let no man say, 
Another way to say this, don't let anybody say this. Say what? That when you're tempted to say, I'm tempted of God. Now, does the scripture say, don't let anybody say that? We're reading it. Why? For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. He goes on to say, but every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust or wrong desire and enticed. See, if God's totally in control of everything and everybody, everybody's feelings, thoughts, actions, choices, God's totally controlling everything, then why wouldn't you, you know, be upset that God put you in that situation and caused you to be tempted? Now, when we say tempted, don't just limit it to one area. Tempted to doubt, tempted to be afraid, tempted to give up, tempted to be hopeless, tempted to despair. There are many people, many people that are just flat out mad at God. God, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Blaming God will cause you to not get God's grace. Now, is that serious or is that serious? The Bible said concerning Esau, Hebrews 12, we've already taught on it. You can go back and get it. It'd be worth your time, I think. It said Esau failed of the grace of God. He came short, and it warns us, don't be like him, who was a profane, disrespectful individual, disrespectful of the things of God, who refused to repent, who refused to take responsibility for his own mistakes. And it warns that if you do that, that you'll fail of the grace of God and a root of bitterness will come up whereby many will be defiled. You'll see this. There's a connection between bitterness and blame. And many people that are bitter, it's because they've blamed God. And of course, blaming other people too. But if you're blaming God, of course, that's, that's a dumb thing to do. It shows you're deceived. It shows you don't realize what's going on. It shows you've believed lies. Oh, friend. Oh, brother. Oh, sister. God has never been our problem. He's not against us. He's for us. You know, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren, the adversary. That means the one who is against. Accuse, another word for accuse, is to blame. Revelation says he blames us before God night and day. And that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. He blames, accuses us to God. He accuses God to us. He accuses God of not caring, of not being there of not being faithful of any number of things, of not doing things he should have, could have done, of doing things that were terrible. He accuses God of all kinds of things. And sadly, so many people are so ignorant of God and his word, they believe it. And of course, he accuses us to each other all the time. He accuses me to you. He accuses you to me. I mean, he tries to take the simplest things. And he's always trying to make something out of it. He's always trying to stir up strife. 
I mean, he'll just have, you know, somebody said something a little short, and then they took off, and you're trying to, you know, just go about your day, and, and the enemy say, well, you hear what they said, and you see the way they looked at you, and you see that, and it could have been they were dealing with something completely different from you. But he'll try to accuse, they, they got something against you, they think this, and then he'll jump on their shoulder and tell them that you're, you know, thinking something or, or saying something. I know this is not fun, but this is reality. He's doing this night and day. I am not going to cry when he gets thrown in the lake of fire. How about you? He's so evil. He, he's so, so terrible. And he's always trying to do this. But here we're told in no uncertain terms, don't say that God tempted you. Don't say God put you in that situation. Can you see that's what Adam was trying to say? Adam was trying to say, well, yeah, but God, you're the one that put that tree in the middle of the garden. And then you're the one gave me that woman. And then, you know, she did this, and then she came and talked me into But see, that is refusing to take responsibility. Humility is honest, and the humble get the grace. If you'll humble yourself and answer the question right the first time, what did you do? I did it. I did what you told me not to do. Why'd you do it? Flesh. Yielded to the flesh. Did the wrong thing. I, I don't really have an excuse. But I ask you for mercy. Oh, friend, the Bible said in the Proverbs that if you hide and cover your sins, it won't prosper. But if you'll confess it, another word for that is if you'll acknowledge it, and if you'll forsake it, if you're willing to make a change, you'll get mercy. Oh, and mercy the scripture says rejoices over judgment. What does that mean? Another way to say it is what 1 Corinthians says. If you judge yourself, what will happen? You won't get judged. Hallelujah. Even though you did everything to deserve it, you will not get the judgment. You won't receive the curse. Why? Jesus took it in your place. Hallelujah. Now, some have thought, you know, well, yeah, but Jesus paid the price for everybody's sin. So how could God ever judge somebody for a sin that he already judged Jesus for? That's reasoning, not revelation. If you don't receive what the Lord has done for you, then you will have to be judged for it. If you don't accept what he did, is everybody listening? That's why repentance is required. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Now you'll notice that one of the things that the enemy does all the time is he tries to get this accusation, this, this Revelation 12:10 thing, him being the accuser of the brethren. Accused could also be, you could say, blame. And I want to remind you, before we turn to this verse, of what happened with Job. Does anybody remember what happened when the enemy came up before God and begin to accuse Job to God. And then he accused Job. He said, if this happens or that happens, Job will curse you to your face. You remember that? 
You see it in chapter 1 of Job, and then you see it again in chapter 2 of Job. And what you see is the Lord endeavoring to put a limitation on what the enemy can do. Obviously, the enemy had found access to him, but he said, but you can't do any more than this, and then you can't do any more than this. He's endeavoring to restrict. But then, in the middle of this, you get later into the book, Job's wife comes and begins to pressure him. And what comes out of her mouth? The exact same words that came out of the devil's mouth in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. How many understand? This is no coincidence. Where did she get this? And what did she tell Job? Why don't you just curse God and die? Curse God. Curse God. Well, who wants to curse God? And if you're in trouble and need help, why? Why would you ever curse the one who, the only one? Who could get you out of this? It's delusion. It's deception. Take a look at this in the book of Revelation, please. In Revelation chapter 2, if you hear some background noise, there's nothing wrong with your speakers. It's, uh, it's more rain. We're getting some more heavy rain here right now. Revelation. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. In Revelation, the second chapter, has anybody been reading in Revelation recently? I'm listening through the camera here. I hope you have, because we just, we just finished up reading the New Testament again today and been reading in the book of Revelation, and it is amazing. I, sometimes people talk about, oh, you can't understand Revelation. and Well, if you say so, then <laughs> you won't be able to. But there's so much in there. And don't stay away from it just because you don't understand everything. Ask the Lord to feed your spirit. And what happens is seed gets sown. And as the months and years go by, the Lord will bring something up to you. And he'll connect it with something else. And you'll go, oh, that's what that's talking about. And you just, you read it by faith. In Revelation 2, especially in these first couple of chapters here, 2 and 3, He's talking to the churches, the churches. These are New Testament churches that existed at the time of this writing. This is not just symbolic. Now, it has a lot of application, but these were letters to churches that existed right then. And, of course, we're part of that same church. This is not Old Testament. This is not what was going on during Jesus' earthly ministry. This is in the same era and age that we are, the church age. And he said in Revelation 2 and 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have something against you, talking about the church of Ephesus, because you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen, and do what? Repent. And do the first works. Or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. Now, this applies to us, same church age, same, these were born-again people, just like us, spirit-filled people, just like us. We have in our New Testament a letter addressed to Ephesus, the saints at Ephesus, same bunch. 
He's talking to them about repenting. Repenting. Then we see in verse 15, writing to the church of Pergamos, 2.15. He said, so have you, the church at Pergamos, them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now skip on down to verse 20. Verse 20, he said, notwithstanding, I have a few things against you, because you suffer that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Now, in the church age, we must not minimize repentance. Repentance is the way out. <laughs> Repentance is the way to healing and, and restoration. And some people have said, well, all repentance is, is just changing the way you think. That's not true. That's just not scriptural. Yeah, it does involve changing the way you think. But if you look at 2 Corinthians 7 and other places, he talks about even sorrowing to repentance and that repentance leading to salvation. Yes, there should be a change of mind, but more significantly, there's a change of heart. And if the heart is changed and the mind is changed, there'll be a change of action. There'll be works meet for repentance. There'll, there'll be actions that change. The word repent includes the idea of turning from one thing to another. If there's no change, there's no repentance. Again, like we said, I mean, you can cry and feel bad. That doesn't mean you repented. And so he's telling these churches that they, they must repent. Now, they're already saved. They're already born again. Jesus has already paid the price for their sins. So it's not that the Lord's going to have to do something else to pay for this. But when you're violating light, the scripture said in James, you know, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. When you're violating light, you need to change. There needs to be an acknowledgement of the truth, an acknowledgement of your violation of it. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is talking about. Confess your sin and God is faithful and just to forgive you. Then you need to receive the forgiveness. You need to receive the cleansing and washing, not so that God will quit being mad at you. He has accepted Jesus' sacrifice, but so that your own heart will stop condemning you. This is one of the biggest things it's about, receiving that forgiveness, receiving that washing and cleansing, receiving the righteousness of God. And when you do receive it, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin and also cleanses the conscience Hebrews talks about only the blood no amount of counseling no amount of anything else can cleanse the conscience only the blood of the lamb but it can no matter how bad you messed up if you will genuinely repent and believe and receive what Jesus has provided your conscience will stop bothering you and you can be completely free from guilt 
and shame. Somebody say, thank God, thank God for the blood. It's the only thing that can cleanse the conscience. Now, he warned this woman and the things that were going on with them, you know, that unless they repent, these things are going to happen. Verse 22, behold, I'll cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent. Now, to me, this is so amazing. All the terrible things she's done, they've done, judgment is looming and pending, not because Jesus needs to pay for it or or God's holding it against them, because she has not received any forgiveness. She's not acknowledging that she's done anything wrong. And he says judgment's coming. But notice the last phrase, except what? Unless she repents. Unless who repents? Jezebel. What? Jezebel can be forgiven and cleansed? Well, absolutely. Am I reading the scripture or not? Except she and they repent. He said judgment's coming, except they repent. Can somebody say, thank God for the mercy of God? Thank God for his mercy. Thank God. It's one of the most amazing things about the Lord is his mercy. Oh, praise God. In the third chapter, you keep reading this. I I won't go through all of it. But to the church of Sardis, he told them, repent. In verse 3, Revelation 3, 3. And in verse 19, he said this, verse 19, Revelation 3, 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Is this the word of the Lord to the church today? Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and will sup with him and he with me. We've used that phrase only talking about unsaved people. And there's application there. But specifically speaking, he's talking to believers. And he's talking about communion. He's already in the life of the believer. But if you want to do your own thing and you want to ignore him, you can shut him out of part of your life. He still loves you, but you've restricted your communion with him. And he'll knock and say, let me back in. Let, you know, come back to me and and let's have full fellowship. He won't force anybody. But if you'll acknowledge, Lord, I'm sorry that I... uh, I closed the door on you on that. I'm sorry I I quit listening to you. I'm sorry I hardened my heart and stiffened my neck about that. Forgive me. And you open the door, oh, praise God, and you receive your forgiveness and cleansing, then you will have unfettered communion with him. Hallelujah. Can you say thank you, Lord? Now, the reason I talk about this is because you see a contrast in the following chapters. You see the Lord cautioning and warning his church and saying, don't be a partaker with these folks who are practicing evil. You don't want to be involved with them. You don't want to partake of their sins and you don't want to get involved in any judgment that's coming. He warns the church. But then in the latter part of the book, you see judgment, 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 judgment. We just got through reading it, right? Judgment. And why? You see it 
in these passages in the ninth chapter, just turn over there please, 9 and 20, there were so many terrible things had happened in judgment. And the rest of the men that were not killed by these plagues, what happened with them? Yet repented not of the works of their hands. Now, you know, I don't believe we're going to be here during this. The Bible said the Lord has saved us from the wrath to come. But after the church is caught up, it's going to get bad. It's going to get really, really bad. We're talking catastrophic things to the earth where a third of the people on the planet die, where things are just wiped out. You've read Revelation. But uh, even though basically the earth's coming apart, they what? They refuse to repent. They would not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils or idols of gold or silver. They refused to do it. Verse 21, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. This is why the judgment came and why there was no reprieve. Why? Because all the folks left refused to repent, refused to admit or acknowledge that they've done anything wrong. Well, if you won't admit what you've done, how can you receive forgiveness for it? How can you receive cleansing for something you won't even admit happened? In the 16th chapter, we see it goes from bad to worse. In the 16th and the 8th verse, the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Power was given to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with great heat. And they did what? They did what? You know another way of saying this? They cursed God. They cursed God. Wonder who's motivating that. See, the devil hadn't changed. He's pushing the same agenda. Curse God. Curse God. Let me say it another way. Blame God. Blame God. Blame God. Curse God. You know, blame God that your baby died. Curse God that you lost your job. Blame God that the company failed. Curse God that you, you didn't get over that sickness. And uh, Curse God. Blame God. Curse God. Blame God. That is straight from the pit. That's straight from hell. That's straight from the devil himself. He's the one that's full of blasphemies. And he's the one that wants to blaspheme and blame God and curse God. He blames God personally. He blames God for his situation. It's not God's fault. God didn't cause him to become the devil. God didn't turn him into what he is. Now you'll hear people try to say, well, yeah, you know, God created the devil so that there's this balance of good and and evil and yin and yang in, in the universe. That's junk. Junk. Lies. Not true. God is good. God is light. In him is no darkness. None. At all. The Bible said iniquity, excuse me, let me say it like this, that the anointed cherub that covers Lucifer, who became the devil, he, the Bible said he was 
created perfect in all of his ways until iniquity was found in him. John says that the devil fathered lying and deception. Apparently deception and lying didn't exist until the devil used the gifts God gave him and twisted them and created lying and deception that God hates and abhors. You know who's responsible for the devil's situation? 100%? The devil. (laughs) He can try to blame God all he wants to, but it's a lie. And I know sadly, sadly, there are millions of human beings all over the planet blaming God, blaming God, accusing God. Why didn't you do this? Why did you let this happen? But the truth is, if it's evil, it's not God's fault. It's not God's plan. Whose fault is it? It's human beings and the evil one. You know, the curse is in the earth. We spent weeks talking about this some time back. The curse is here. <laughs> all all you've got to do to be destroyed is just be born on the planet. There is stuff everywhere. There, I mean, there's violence. There's bad weather. There's poison food. There's disease of every kind. There, there's all kind of stuff. I mean, there's, you know, 10,000 things that can kill you every hour of the day. And that's, God didn't put that there to teach you a lesson. It came because of what Adam and Eve did and all their descendants did. The Bible said the wages of sin is death and the curse came. No, if you think right, you won't be saying, God, why did you do all this to me? No, the truth is, if he hadn't spared you, you'd have been completely destroyed long ago. He's sparing you as much as he can with what you're doing and believing. And if we will take responsibility for our words and for our thoughts and for our actions and for our heart, and if we'll repent the way we need to and when we need to and receive, he can keep us more and more and more. He can protect us more and more and more the more we walk with him. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, We have fellowship with each other. And the blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And he that keeps himself like this, the Bible said, the wicked one touches him not. Does that sound good to anybody? That the enemy can't get to you. See, that's what the enemy was trying to do with Job. He tried to get to him and he found access to him. But the Bible says, don't give the devil any place. These people... Well, you see, the most terrible judgment is where people refuse to repent. And the truth is, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone. What? Refusing to repent. Because anything else, I don't care how bad it is, anything else God can fix has already provided for. But if you refuse to repent, you put yourself in a place where nobody can help you, not even God. And wouldn't you agree, that's the worst place you could ever be? That's the worst thing that could ever happen? To harden your heart, to stiffen your neck, 
to get attitude, to stop acknowledging the truth and start blaming everybody else, it's only going to get darker and that bitterness is only going to get worse. And everybody around you that listens to you will be infected by that bitterness. It's a root and it contaminates. Bitterness is connected to blaming. Go with me to Second Timothy here and let's look at something to shout about. Second Timothy, the second chapter. Do we like the Word of God? We need all the Word of God. Some of the Word of God makes us shout. Some of the Word makes us repent. <laughs> right? We need it all. We need it all. In uh, 2 Timothy, the second chapter, please. This uh, passage of Scripture I have referred to and used. Now, I shouldn't say referred to. I have referred to it a bunch of times, but I'm trying to say I have used it. I've gone to it in so many different times in my life in praying for other people to try to help in a situation that's bad and getting worse. Second Timothy, the second chapter. He said in verse 23, foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. There's a number of things we just should not entertain. Don't think you have to answer every question someone asks you. In fact, there are numerous times you just need to say, I don't want to get into that. I, I, don't, I don't think I need to talk about that or that we need to talk about that right now. And if folks don't like it, don't let them influence you and coerce you. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Why? Because the enemy is trying to stir up trouble. He's trying to gender strife. Gender means to produce. And so there was no strife there until y'all started talking about this subject. <laughs> trying to answer this foolish question. Keep reading. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Are you a servant of the Lord? Then what does the Bible say? I must not strive. Another way of saying that, I must not let myself be sucked into strife. Strife. Arguing. Fighting. Fussing. Now, it's easy to talk about it, you know, when we're in church and, and reading the scripture, but I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, how long you've been walking with the Lord, in the situation, spirits get involved, trying to push people's buttons and trying to incite strife. And if you don't watch it, you can go from having a normal, pleasant conversation to getting all hot under the collar in just a couple minutes. In some cases, a few seconds. Said out loud, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Instead of being in strife, the Lord expects you and I to stay cool and calm 
and not yield to temper. The Bible said, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow. Everybody say slow, slow. Slow to get angry. Why? Because the wrath of man does not work the right things of God. You know, in Ephesians, where he's talking about give no place to the devil, just a couple of verses before, he was talking about rage and wrath, yielding to anger. Don't do that, he said. And then he said, don't give any place to the devil. And uh, verse 25, the, he said, the servant of the Lord must not strive, he must be gentle in meekness, in humility, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now this is not just somebody who's opposing you. Have you ever heard the phrase, they are their own worst enemy? Well, here's a situation where an individual has joined sides with the devil against themselves. They're opposing themselves. Now nobody would knowingly, understandingly do that. So what's involved here is some deception. Deception. Now, if you've lived very long and you care about people and you've had relationships, then there's been some times, especially if you're a believer and you've endeavored to grow in the things of God, there have been times people, especially people not trying to serve God that you care about, you can see what they're doing to themselves. You can see what they're doing to their marriage, what they're doing to their kids, what they're doing to their family. And your heart goes out to them. And if you've already received some things that help you get victories in these areas, you so want to share it with them and you want to get them to uh, get free as well and get answers as well. But people that have chosen to re refuse to repent have chosen to deny that they've made mistakes and blame other people, well, what else is there left to believe? Lies and blame other people. And you especially see it in marriages and families, husbands and wives blaming each other. People, you know, children blaming their parents, parents blaming the children, etc. Roommates blaming each other, co-workers blaming each other, you do understand the earth is full of this. It's terrible, but it's true. And the reason it's full of it is because the God of this world, the accuser of the brethren, the blamer, is inciting it, trying to sow seeds of fear and doubt and distrust, questioning and anxiety all the time so that he can get people to make big mistakes, you know, get Christians to get so mad that they cuss somebody out. Christians to get so upset that they hit somebody. And then instead of them humbling themselves and taking responsibility for what they've done, say, well, it's their fault. If they hadn't said this and if they hadn't done that and if they hadn't, well, tell me again, what's the problem with that? If you do that, you're not going to get grace. You're not going to get help. You'll stay stuck in that terrible, toxic bitterness and just get worse and worse until and unless this could happen. The servant of God don't get embroiled in foolish, we might say dumb questions 
and arguing and wrangling and strife. Be gentle and in meekness, humility. I'd add this with other scripture. Considering yourself, lest you be tempted, instruct those who oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them what? Repentance. To what? To the acknowledging of the truth. And if that happens and they receive it and act on it, what will happen? That they may recover themselves out of the snare and trap of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. If they will just hear the truth and God gives them the gift, and it is a gift, of repentance, and they acknowledge the truth and humble themselves and repent, grace will come flowing into them and the anointing will remove the yoke, the, the burden rather, and destroy the yoke. And they will be recovered out of the traps and snares and lies and deception of the devil. And they'll no longer be involved in the captivity doing his will. Can anybody say, thank you, Lord, for repentance? Thank you, Lord, for repentance. Come on, say it out loud. Thank you. Come on, stand on your feet right now. Say, thank you, Lord, for repentance. Oh, everybody said out loud, thank you, Lord, for repentance. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of repentance. He said, let's put that scripture back up there. He said, uh, back up to verse 25 again, in meekness. If you're harsh with somebody and you're haughty and judgmental, a lot of times they won't hear it. They won't receive it. But if you'll be honest that you've missed it yourself in so many ways and in meekness instruct those that oppose themselves, then God in these situations, while they're hearing what's right and they're hearing love and they're hearing kindness, the Spirit of God will give them repentance and their heart can melt and they can humble themselves and acknowledge the truth. It might be with tears. And yes, there can be some godly sorrow, not the sorrow of the world, not just embracing condemnation, but when you realize, you know, how dumb you were and how much you messed up, you shouldn't be okay with that. You're not happy about that. But you don't stay there and you don't embrace condemnation. You acknowledge the truth. The truth about your mistakes. The truth about what Jesus has done to take care of that. The truth about the blood that washes away. Oh, say the truth. Hallelujah. About the washing and regenerating of the Holy Spirit that can cleanse your conscience. So that you don't have any guilt or shame even though you did mess up so badly. I want us to pray this over loved ones, over friends, and anybody and everybody that needs to act on something, something standing out to you right now about your own self, act on it right now. 
for yourself, but we're also going to pray for friends and family members. We're going to pray for parents and children and siblings and, and co-workers. We're going to pray this verse. Mark this in your Bible so that you can do this again. It'll come up again and the Spirit of God will quicken you to do this, to pray a prayer on their behalf and to be willing, if they're willing to talk, to in meekness instruct them too. Said out loud, lift up your heart and your voice. Said out loud, Father God, I don't blame you for the evil things on this planet. That's not your fault. It's not your will. It doesn't please you. It's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance so you can save and restore and heal and manifest mercy. We humble ourselves and take responsibility for our own words, our own thoughts, our own choices. We humble ourselves and acknowledge the truth, no matter how uncomplimentary it may be about us or about someone else, but we don't embrace condemnation. We acknowledge the truth and we receive cleansing, washing, forgiveness, and righteousness. We lift up our siblings our family members. We lift up our friends that have been opposing themselves. And we ask you, send laborers across their paths. Whoever you know, they will listen to and open their ears and hearts and minds to see and understand the truth. We ask that you would give them repentance. Oh, what a gift. Give them repentance that they may acknowledge the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare, out of the traps and deception and lies of the evil one. We break the power of darkness and confusion over their hearts and minds. We say be loosed. And be enlightened. To the truth. To the good news. To the word of God. To the word of faith. To answers from heaven. In Jesus name. This ministry has been brought to you today. Free of charge. By the partners of More Life Ministries. And Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.